This is the Moira Pentecostal Church podcast, providing you with sound biblical teaching. We hope you will be encouraged, challenged, and blessed by this ministry. Uh, Romans chapter 1. Book of Romans, first chapter. Verse 16 and 17 only. Paul said, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, The just shall live by faith. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation for everyone who believes. There are many things that a man could be rightly ashamed of, but surely the gospel of Jesus Christ is not one of them. Or is it? Is it possible that we could actually be ashamed of Christ's gospel. Paul here is writing to believers in Rome. We do not know who started the church in Rome. It certainly wasn't Paul. This is the first time uh, that he's been. Uh, definitely wasn't Peter. Most likely it was someone who got saved on the day of Pentecost, perhaps hearing Peter preach that great sermon and came as a, a Jew or a proselyte one who had joined up to the Jewish faith, but went back a believer to Rome. And from there, a church was born. But Rome here is in its zenith of power. And Paul was keen to get to Rome. He wanted to go many, many times. But for one reason or another, due to his itinerary, due to the way that the Spirit of God was leading him, until now he couldn't get. But now he is going, but this time he's going as a prisoner to appeal unto Caesar. And so he writes to this church, why does he feel the need to say, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ? Surely it would seem superfluous to say to believers in Rome, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, and by implication, neither should you. Rome was at the height of its power, as I said, it conquered many nations. Its might was unparalleled, and it was famous for its great army, a great fighting machine. It had the greatest city in the world, Rome, the eternal city. It was said that all roads lead to Rome. It had its Caesars, of whom many of them were counted as gods and included in their pantheon of gods. It was rich, it was influential, it was powerful, it was full of fashion and entertainment, which was both brutal and bloody. People would come from all over the empire to visit this great city and see its wonderful architecture. 
It had its Caesars, it had its rulers, its magistrates, it had its courts, it had its system of law and of learning. It had all of this. And so in a way, in its day, I suppose it would be like London and New York and Washington, D.C., all rolled into one metropolis, which was unrivaled in its time. And it had Christians and a Christian church. Most of the Christians were actually slaves. You have to understand that in that ancient world, slavery was a common thing. Most people in the ancient world were slaves one way or another to one government or another, to one power or another. And so these believers, this Christian church, it, it didn't have much influence. It wasn't powerful. It wasn't huge. And I suppose they were counted just as slaves, by and large, like countless other slaves from all over the empire that found themselves in Rome. And so they have little status, little influence, certainly no power. And so here comes this Paul, this former Jewish rabbi. And he, he, he's coming to, from, a, from a conquered land, Israel, from a conquered city, Jerusalem. And he's coming to this great city of Rome, and he's coming with a message, a message of Jesus Christ, a message of the gospel that he says is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes. And it's basically a message about a, a Jewish immigrant preacher, itinerant preacher, I should say, a Jewish itinerant preacher, uh, one that eventually that the nation rejected and despised to the point where they actually got him crucified by the Romans. And it was reported that he rose again from the dead. And so here's this little Jewish man coming to this great, powerful city, the most powerful city and the most powerful nation on earth, and he's coming with a story, with a message about a crucified itinerant Jewish preacher who supposedly rose from the dead and can cause us to have eternal salvation. You can see how ridiculous that might seem to the Romans. How could this gospel, how could it possibly make a difference to such a city and such a people as Rome. We may be tempted to think, what difference can this gospel make to an unbelieving world today? This ultra-modern, scientific, highly technological, sophisticated 21st century world <laughs> with its wars and its great weapons of mass destruction with its violence and its brutality and its sex-saturated society. What possible difference could this gospel make to godless atheism and, and, and religions, false religions that just want to obliterate Christianity? Isn't there a tendency to think 
that in this world of antagonism on the one hand and apathy on the other hand, that this gospel would make little impact. Paul was making sure that the believers in Rome would not think this. Paul was making sure that would not be their mindset. And so he writes to them, and he says, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes. He actually had the audacity to say that his gospel could change that city. That's what he was saying. That my gospel, the gospel of Jesus Christ, has got the power to change this great city of Rome. It can make a massive difference. Now, Paul actually didn't live long enough to see that happening because he was martyred. He was executed in Rome. But happened, it did. Because history tells us that Christianity actually split the mighty Roman Empire in two to east and west. Such was the power of the gospel. Imagine the gospel, the good news of this carpenter of Nazareth dying on a Roman cross, rising again from the dead, that this was in truth the very Son of God. And that this simple but profound story it would not only change a city, but change a nation and change a continent. <coughs> That's Paul's belief. It's our belief. Do we truly believe that the gospel of Christ is the power of God unto salvation and that it can change cities and nations and even continents? Let us never underestimate the power of the gospel to change people's lives. Amen. Luther's gospel, the just shall live by faith, changed the religious landscape of the whole continent of Europe 500 years ago. And thank God for it. We're still feeling the effects of it yet. Wesley and Whitfield's gospel actually prevented Britain from going into revolution and it swept the nation of Great Britain. The Ulster Revival in 1859 had a profound effect upon our wee country. 100,000 people saved in one year. Hallelujah. Everywhere the river of revival flowed, it overspilled its banks and churches all over the country were filled to capacity. They had to build more churches. Prayer meetings were the largest meetings of all. Now they're the smallest, but then they were the largest. Crime rate dropped dramatically. It didn't just affect a few people here and there. It affected whole communities. Whole communities were caught up in the power of the gospel. People would fall in the very streets of our towns without even a preacher preaching and cry unto God for forgiveness. Children in school were falling on their knees. Teachers were getting saved when they saw little children falling on their knees and crying for God to save them. It had a mighty impact on this nation. 
the Welsh revival of 1904-1905. You know, it was the biggest revival in, in, in Wales in the 20th century. And again, it had a profound effect, effect upon, upon Wales. And not only upon Wales, but even further afield. Uh, and I was reading the other day about this, and it said, this is what it said, the movement kept the churches of Wales filled for many years to come, seats being placed in the aisles in Mount Pleasant Baptist Church in Swansea for 20 years or more. Now, from time to time, whenever we have a special thing on here, in the place is bound and we have to put extra seats out and some over there and some here. But this is for 20 years for every single Sunday service. Can you imagine that? And it goes on to say, meanwhile the awakening swept the rest of Britain and Scandinavia and parts of Europe and North America, the mission fields of India and the Orient and Africa and Latin America. It just flowed all over the world from the, from the little tiny country of Wales. Paul says that the gospel is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes. In verse 14, prior to what we just read, he said, I am a debtor both to the Greeks and barbarians, both to the wise and the unwise, and as much as is in me, I am ready to preach the gospel to you who are in Rome also. I am a debtor. Paul saw the gospel as a great treasure, but not to keep for himself, but a treasure that he must share with others. Woe is me if I preach not the gospel. And so he felt he was a debtor. He felt he was obligated. There was a, an obligation, a holy obligation on him to preach the gospel wherever he would go. I'm a debtor both to the Greeks and to the barbarians. In other words, both to the cultured and the uncultured, both to the learned and the unlearned, both to the religious and the irreligious, to the king in his palace, to the beggar in the street. He must, he must, he must preach the gospel because he fully believes that it is the power of God unto salvation. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. Notice he mentions the Jews, the Greeks, the Romans, the barbarians. That covers every conceivable nationality and race and culture anywhere in the world. This gospel is exportable every nation on earth. Why? Because every man, every woman, every boy, every girl has got the same inherent problem of sin. And the only answer to it is the gospel. So no matter where you go in the world, people have still got the same problem in the depths of their heart that has to be dealt with and only the gospel of Christ can deal with it. Paul had great confidence in Christ's gospel. He mentions the three great cultures of the world in that day, the Jewish and the Roman and the Greek, and anything outside of that he classed as barbarian. So he covered all bases. 
No wonder he went to Rome with great confidence. Why? Because he knew it would work. He knew this gospel works. Remember that Paul was a very highly educated man. He was academically minded. He was a great studier. He sat at the feet of the best-known Jewish rabbi of his day, Gamaliel. And so he was highly educated. He was widely read, very erudite. He even quoted Cretan prophets or, or poets <laughs> in his sermons and in his witness. And so he had traveled widely. He, he knew all of these cultures. He knew all of these philosophies. He heard it all. He debated with them. He talked with them. But he had every confidence that his gospel was more than a match for any and every religion and philosophy in the world. He absolutely trusted in the gospel. Do we have the same confidence? Do we believe that this gospel can reach every man or woman, no matter what their status is, no matter how highly educated they are or how lowly educated they are? Because this is what Paul believed. He was absolutely sure of this. So whether he was speaking on Mars Hill, where all the philosophers went in Greece to talk, or whether it was in some synagogue, or in the temple in Jerusalem, or in Corinth, the city of the gods, or in Ephesus, at the school of Tyrannus, where he was there for two years, it didn't matter where he was, it didn't matter what country he was in, it didn't matter what culture he was dealing with, it didn't matter what religion he was facing, he had absolute confidence that his gospel was more than a match. He said, I am not ashamed. He preached the uncompromising gospel. He didn't water it down. He didn't make excuses for it. He told it exactly as it was. One writer said, and I like that this writer said, Paul was ready to preach the gospel at Rome. When he preached it at Jerusalem, the religious center of the world, he was mobbed. When he preached it at Athens, the intellectual center of the world, he was mocked. When he preached it at Rome, the legislative center of the world, he was martyred. <laughs> but preach it he must. <laughs> Woe was me if I preached not the gospel. For it is the power of God unto salvation. Nothing has the power to change a man or a woman's life on the inside like salvations. Countless millions can testify that God has saved me. My life was changed dramatically. Some of us maybe haven't got the testimony that we were deeply living in horrible, terrible black sin. <coughs> Maybe we were brought up in a Christian home. But we hadn't received the Savior. And so we need it saved as much as anybody else. But there are many, many people who are in the deepest, darkest pit of sin and this gospel radically changed them. <coughs> radically changed them. I remember a dear friend, he, he's dead now, he was a motor dealer. He used to come here in the early days. And he told me one time, he says, you know, David, before I got saved, he says, I had the filthiest, foulest mouth 
of a man that you ever could meet. And he says, that's the truth. And he says, as soon as I got saved, he says, that immediately stopped. He says, everybody noticed immediately, because everybody I met, he says, that was my normal language. Never even thought about it. But he says, as soon as I get saved, this gospel changed me. And the first thing it changed was my mouth. Years ago, a speaker at Speaker's Corner in London, it's a famous place where people would go and stand on a soapbox, as it were, and preach or give their philosophy. So this preacher, he's preaching, and there was always hacklers in the crowd. And as he was preaching this, Hackler said, look at that beggar over there. Communism can put a new suit of clothes on that old man. And without even breaking his stride, the preacher says, well, he says, I can tell you better than that. He says, the gospel, the gospel, he says, can put a new man in that old suit of clothes. And that's the difference. It is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes. I was watching a program the other night. It was later on, I was flicking through. Was, you know, when a man gets the remote control in his hand, he, he tends to flick a lot, doesn't he? Somebody says he doesn't want to see what's on television. He wants to see what else is on television. So I was flicking through, and uh, there was a program, I think it was in TBN, called the Jesus the Game Changer. And I don't know what part I, I come into the thing, but this guy was talking to other guys. He was talking to John Ertberg, uh, the author, the writer. And they were talking about the changes that the gospel has made to the world. And that's what the whole program's about. There's a series of it, and I've only seen this little bit. And the bit I saw, they were talking about education. And they're saying, how many people today realize that that our education around the world was by and large uh, the result of Christianity. Because he says there was a time in Europe, for instance, that, that it was only the rich, the wealthy, the priests, the prelates, that they were the educated, but the average man could neither read or write. Even the business, the average person in business couldn't read or write. And it was, it was Christians, uh, and particularly those in the monastic setting who set up schools of study. And they would study the sciences and the arts and different things. And that out of that eventually became schools and universities. And one of the things they wanted then, for instance, Bible translators, uh, what, what they wanted was for the ordinary person in the street to be able to read the Bible for themselves because it was locked up in Latin for centuries. And only those who could read and speak Latin would know what the Bible said, but the average person couldn't read it or speak it or write it or anything. So they didn't know. And so these Bible translators, like Tyndale, for instance, who end up burned at the stake for trying to get that out of that old... Latin hidden in that old language into, into the man in the street that he could understand. They're on to say about the great universities in the world, particularly in America, you think of Harvard and Yale and Princeton, all of these were begun by believers for the betterment of man. Isn't it ironic that today that 
that so many of the atheists are saying, you know, that Christianity is bad for science, that Christianity and science doesn't mix One's true and one's false and all this nonsense. And what they don't seem to, or they conveniently forget, that actually science, it was Christians. It was, it was people who at least believed in God, at least believed in God. They were the ones who pushed science. They were the ones who wanted people to understand how this world actually physically worked. And so it's ironic today that they're saying, well, Christianity and science, it, it doesn't mix, it doesn't work. Well, there would be little science today if it wasn't for Christianity. If it wasn't for people actually who believed in God because they were the ones who pushed it in the first place. So he goes on to say, for in it the righteousness of God is revealed. Righteousness was one of the main planks of Paul's gospel. He loved to preach about righteousness. To let sinful man know that because of Christ's gospel he could now stand before a holy God without feeling condemned. <laughs> what a message. You know that's the thing that sets you free. You see way back in the Garden of Eden there was a time when Adam and Eve did stand before a holy God without feeling condemned and had actual conversation every day in the cool of the day. But when sin came in, what was the first thing that happened? That broke down. And they went and they hid themselves from the presence of God because they felt condemned and felt afraid in God's presence. But righteousness through the gospel of Christ brings us into a right standing with the holy God so that we can stand and not feel condemned because of sin, but we feel welcomed into his presence because of Christ's righteousness that's in us today. The Greek and the Roman gods were capricious, they were cruel. The people had to constantly live in fear of them, of their displeasure. They had to constantly make appeasement to these gods. Even Judaism for a long time it was wrapped up in, in rites and rituals and bondage they were in bondage to that but the gospel comes along and it sets everyone free the Greek with their philosophies the Jew with its religion sets them free Christ's gospel brought man into a right standing with God through grace and through the gift of faith that not of ourselves, not of works, so that none of us can boast. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the just shall live by faith. Sinful man receives the righteousness of God high by grace through faith. That ingredient that God has placed in your heart to actually believe him and to believe Christ and to believe his truth that's what changes us from faith to faith W.E. Vine the, the great Greek expositor puts it this way he says from faith points to the initial act for by grace are you saved through faith from faith points to the initial act to faith, 
to the life of faith that issues from that. Because now we walk by faith, not by sight. So that faith that caused us to believe in the first place is that faith that keeps us still believing and continues to believe. Old Bishop Lightfoot, he says of this text, the just shall live by faith, he says, the whole law was given to Moses in 613 precepts. David in Psalm 15 brings them within the compass of 11. As Isaiah reduces, Isaiah reduces them to six, Micah to three, and Isaiah again a later passage to two. But Habakkuk condenses them into one. The just shall live by faith. We're almost finished. The Apostle Paul died about 30 years after Christ's crucifixion. And in that time, there was a church, a Christian church, in every major city of the Western Roman Empire in just 30 years after Christ's death. And the Apostle Paul was the instigator of most of them. Such was his great missionary evangelistic passion. And this is why he could say to the church at Rome, and this is why it's relevant for us today, he could say, the gospel is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes. In our 21st century, with all of its unbelief, with all of its antagonism, with all of its persecution of believers, with all of that, it is still the power of God unto salvation. And it's still the power of God to change cities and nations and continents. Adrian Rogers, the late Adrian Rogers, great preacher, he said, there are many who can preach the gospel better than I can. But he says, there's nobody who can preach a better gospel than I can. Because there is no better gospel. There is no better gospel than Christ's gospel. There's lots of false gospels, false religions, false ways, but there's no better gospel than the gospel that Paul preached. He says, if I come to you preaching any other gospel, he says, if anybody comes preaching any other gospel other than the gospel I preach, let him be accursed, he says. That's how confident he was in his gospel. Not that he was intolerant or bigoted. He just believed there is no other gospel than this gospel, and there isn't. It's the only one that can change men and women's lives forever for all eternity. Amen? Amen? So, let us never ever be ashamed of the gospel of Christ. Never let us be disappointed. Never let us be afraid. Sometimes the reason why we don't share the gospel is because we're afraid of what might happen. Or we're ashamed in case people would laugh at us or mock us. But know that it's a very powerful, powerful thing to share the gospel, it can change a life for all eternity. And there's nothing more important than a life change for eternity. Sure there's not. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, you have put within our hands and in our heart and on our lips a wonderful, wonderful story, a true story. And after 2,000 years, is still working effectively and powerfully 
for it is the power of God unto salvation. We thank you for the day and hour that we believe this gospel. Our lives were changed forever. Lord, help us to spread it. Lord, even this year in our own church setting, may we share this gospel and may it be widely known. We give you thanks, Lord. We bless you that it is available for every man on earth. And we thank you for it as good news, the greatest news that a man or woman or a boy or girl could ever hear in this life. We bless you, Lord, that over the nations of the world, your gospel is moving. Lord, even in Iran, in the midst of that Muslim nation, Lord, there are hundreds and hundreds being saved because of this gospel. So we thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast. We produce a variety of sermon videos and inspiring Christian content available for free on our YouTube channel. Just go to YouTube and search Moira Pentecostal or visit our website for more information, www.mpc.org.uk.